Brought to you by GSK. If we map the genetics of a disease, could we change its course? At GSK, we know the information encoded in our genes provides vital knowledge, so we're working with partners to decode it. Using technology like an advanced search engine, we can spot the patterns that lead to diseases like Parkinson's or Alzheimer's. Because by identifying the patterns that cause disease, we hope to transform how patients are treated in the future. In a world that is absolutely without social media, and, and, and there was a world like that. I think I remember living in it. I'm sure some of you do too. In such a world without social media, lots of things that we now take as fact might never have happened. The Women's March uh, never would have happened without Facebook. The Me Too movement depended on Twitter. So did Black Lives Matter. And then there's the Parkland students hashtag. On the other hand, Facebook and also Twitter, these places were vehicles through which an election got itself hacked. And fake news real fake news, which is something of an oxymoron, that kind of fake news got itself spread around, corrupting the democratic process and manipulating us by algorithm. So we have social media as the great connector, a democracy enhancer, and we have social media as poison in the process and poison for the discourse, a democracy corrupter. And which of those things is social media mostly? Well, we think that has the makings of a debate, so let's have it. Yes or no to this statement, social media is good for democracy. I'm John Donvan, and I stand between two teams of two experts in this topic who will argue for and against that motion. As always, our debate will go in three rounds, and then our live audience here at the St. Regis Hotel in Aspen, Colorado, will vote to choose the winner. And as always, if all goes well, civil discourse will also win. Social media is good for democracy. That is our resolution. Let's meet our debaters, beginning with the team arguing for the motion. Please, once again, ladies and gentlemen, welcome Jeff Jarvis. And Jeff, uh, you're director of the uh, Townite Center at the City University of New York's uh, Craig Newmark Graduate School of Journalism. You've written a lot of books, including What Would Google Do? You also lead the News Integrity Initiative at CUNY, which is partially funded by Facebook. We wanted to say that. What, what is that initiative? Uh, I want to emphasize that I'm independent of Facebook, as I hope I prove uh, every day, but the News Integrity Initiative is trying to attack this problem of so-called fake news through manipulation and trust and trying to rebuild journalism. And does that fit into the topic tonight? Uh, Yeah. Okay, that sounds like absolutely. And can you tell us who your partner is, please? Oh, uh, Emily Parker here. Ladies and gentlemen, Emily Parker, welcome. Uh, Emily, you are a a digital diplomacy advisor. Very cool-sounding job. And the author of a book called Now I Know Who My Comrades Are, Voices from the Internet Underground. And here explaining what that title meant, you were a member of Secretary Clinton's policy planning staff at the State Department and the founder of Code for Country. What is Code for Country? Code for Country is something that is completely impossible to imagine today. It was Russian and American programmers getting together to solve issues of government transparency. Oh, how... (laughs) How, how, how naive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right, we, 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 we solved it, yeah. yeah. Thanks, Emily Parker. <laughs> and once again, the team arguing for the motion, social media is good for democracy. And we have two debaters arguing against it. Please welcome back to Intelligence Squared, Franklin Farr. And Frank, uh, you're a staff writer at The Atlantic. You're author of a book everybody's been talking about last year and this year, World Without Mind, The Existential Threat of Big Tech, named one of the best books of the year by The New York Times. You started working on that 
back in 2014. So tell us, how, how have the tides changed between the time you started writing that book and the yeah. present day? You know, when I told people I was working on a book critical of Google and Facebook, they looked at me funny. Uh, but now they consider me to be a lackey of the conventional wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> a lackey. And you, and you would probably rather, be, if you're going to have to be in servitude, a, a servant of the facts or a slave no, to the truth or something like I that. I am always a slave to the truth. There you go. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, Franklin Four. And please tell us who your partner is. Roger McNamee. Ladies and gentlemen, Roger McNamee. Roger, you are, you're a venture capitalist and early investor in Google, Amazon, Facebook. Things worked out. You were a mentor at Facebook to Mark Zuckerberg for a number of years. It's an important part of your story here. Um, you have said that you were once a technology optimist. Is that still true today? I am temporarily uh, in remission, <laughs> and I'm looking for a new entry point, uh, hopefully around 5G or whatever the next big thing is. Hopefully it'll be human-driven technology and not human-destructive technology. Let's hope ultimately for all of us that you're right. Thank you, Frank and Roger, the team arguing against the motion. So here are our four debaters ready to get started. We begin with round one. Round one will be opening statements by each debater in turn. Speaking first, for the motion, social media is good for democracy, here is Emily Parker, digital diplomacy advisor and former State Department official. Ladies and gentlemen, Emily Parker. I'll start by saying that I realize that our side is making a fairly unpopular argument. When you hear the word social media, you probably think fake news, Russian hackers, bots, trolls, echo chambers. I I get that. But the resolution here is not social media always brings out the best in humanity. The resolution is also not Facebook can do whatever it wants and we'll be okay with it. The resolution is essentially a world with social media is more democratic than a world without it. Social media is a tool. It does not single-handedly create revolutions, nor does it single-handedly bring about a change in government. What social media does do is widen the space for democracy. And I think China is a good example of that. China with social media is more democratic than China without social media. Before the internet, there was one public voice, the state. Now, there is an explosion of voices. WeChat, China's main messaging app, by some accounts, has one billion monthly active users. But it's not just about freedom of speech. Social media is essential for promoting freedom of assembly, something that we in the United States take for granted. But in authoritarian countries, it is not easy to find people who share your views and your goals, especially if those goals are counter to the official narrative. So now, in a country like China, you have people from all over the country joining forces to protest local corruption, to demand a cleaner environment, or recently, truckers protesting high fuel costs. Now, let's turn to Russia. In Russia, the opposition has used social media very effectively to achieve their goals. Alexei Navalny, for example, Russia's, Putin's main political opponent, has used social media to call for large-scale protests and recently even tried to challenge Putin as pre- for president of Russia. In a country with almost total censorship, he said, he has access to millions via YouTube. Without the internet, we would all be dissidents, Navalny told me. Thanks to the internet, 
thanks to social media, he has been able to emerge as a politician. Was it enough to make him the leader of the country? No. But without social media, the situation would be a lot more black and white. I believe that Facebook is being scapegoated for revealing some of the dark sides of America. I heard a lot of people saying, I'm so sick of Twitter and Facebook. We need a platform for civil, thoughtful conversation. So a few years ago, I teamed up with two former Google employees to create just that platform. It was called Parlio, and it wasn't a perfect product. It had its flaws, but it did reveal some important truths about user behavior. Thoughtful debate takes time. Thoughtful debate is unlikely to go viral. And third, civility can be kind of boring. And basically, we are in a moment right now where we, the users, are addicted to this sugar rush of sensationalism and virality. Emily Parker, I'm sorry your time is up. Okay. But you can continue those thoughts in the middle section of the debate. Okay. Thank you very much, Thank ladies you. and gentlemen. Emily Parker. Our next debater will be speaking against the motion, social media is good for democracy. Here to do that is investor and venture capitalist, Roger McNamee. Thank you all. As John said, my story began in Silicon Valley more than 35 years ago. I was a technology optimist. I was lucky enough to be Mark Zuckerberg's, one of his mentors from 2006 to 2009, before the current business model was created. I've known Google, YouTube, and Twitter, three of the other social media platforms, since their very earliest days. I worked in political campaigns since I was 12 years old, and I've worked for a member of Congress. In January of 2016, I was on vacation and saw memes that were misogynistic and related to the Bernie Sanders campaign. They were not actually from the campaign, but somebody was spending money to make sure they spread virally on Facebook. In June of 2016, Brexit happened. That was the first time I realized that Facebook as a platform gave an advantage to inflammatory campaigns over neutral and positive ones. In October of 2016, after the news broke that the Russians were attempting to interfere in our election, I reached out to Zuck and to Cheryl with my fears, and I spent three months trying to persuade them just to do an investigation, find out what was going on. They claimed they weren't responsible. They're a platform, not a media company. They aren't responsible for third parties. The transformation in my view of social media began with a couple hypotheses. First, that rampant manipulation of users is not a bug. It's actually a feature. It's designed into the system. The Russians did not hack Facebook. They used the tools precisely as they were designed to be used. Secondly, the companies themselves are complicit. Platforms use surveillance to build incredibly detailed portraits. They then prey on the weakest aspects of human psychology. They give you endless news feeds and autoplay to keep you on the site. And if you ever leave, they interrupt you with notifications. Manipulation of users is the goal. Undermining democracy is merely a side effect. They favor disinformation over fact because it's better for engagement. Earlier this year, MIT pointed out that information spreads 70% farther and six times faster than facts. These platforms are designed to take advantage of that. And I will stipulate that social media can, in principle, be employed to benefit democracy. We've seen examples with Black Lives Matter, the Women's March, Indivisible, and the March for Our Lives. But social media is actually only good at germinating 
political action. It is terrible at sustaining engagement. If social media were good for democracy, it should have deterred the global rise of populism, demagoguery, illiberalism, and authoritarianism. Stanford political scientist Larry Diamond notes that between 2000 and 2014, there were 25 breakdowns in democracy. Social media encourages people to be passive consumers, not active citizens. Filter bubbles make opinions more rigid and more extreme. Users have no need to engage, much less to compromise. And Larry Diamond points out there are four key elements of democracy. Free and fair elections, active participation by the people in civic life, protection of human rights for all, and a rule of law which applies equally to everyone. We will make the case that social media has harmed all four. Our opponents must prove that social media is actually good for democracy as practiced in the world, not just that it gets some people engaged online in Russia. I want to ask for your vote. I want you to vote against this proposition. I want to take back democracy. I want to thank you for your time. Thank you. Roger McNamee. Round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate continues in just a moment. And uh, a reminder of where we are. We are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two teams of two, arguing it out over this motion. Social media is good for democracy. You have heard the first two opening statements. And now on to the third, debating for the motion, social media is good for democracy. Jeff Jarvis, director of the Town Knight Center for Entrepreneurial Journalism at City University of New York. Ladies and gentlemen, Jeff Jarvis. That cacophony that you're hearing is the sound of democracy. And yes, it's noisy and it's messy, but if you truly listen, it's glorious. For at long last, we are hearing voices we could never, ever hear before. The Internet has brought diversity to the public square and the public conversation. Going around gatekeepers, like me, I'm a journalist, an old white man gatekeeper. Around institutions, and this is why this scares them so much. And so finally we have the opportunity, as John has mentioned and Roger did, that without social media we would not have had Black Lives Matter or Me Too or the amazing work of the Parkland students. So social media has already proven to be good for democracy. Are there also bad voices on the net? Yes, just as there are on Times Square as well. But let's be honest. We have met the problem and it is us. The problem here is not technology at all. It is human behavior on technology. And I think there are, these unintended consequences come out of potentially a moral panic that I see developing out of good intention from our, our colleagues on the other side, but that in the end of the day tries to blame all of society's problems on Facebook and Twitter and Google as if they caused it. Well, I stand here today in confession that they didn't cause it, I helped cause it. As a journalist, as a member of media, we polarized this nation and the world. We invented the business model of clickbait that leads to cats and Kardashians and ultimately leads to Donald Trump. For remember, the heads of both CNN and CBS said that Donald Trump may be bad for this country, but he's good for their business. So, is social media the cause? No. Is it the cure? No. But I have to say that these are early days. What social media and the internet do is disrupt society in fundamental ways. That's why there's so much fear about this right now. And I want to remind you about the timetable of Gutenberg. He invented movable type in about the year 1450. It took 150 years, a century and a half, before anyone thought to invent the newspaper. 
That's a very long timeline. I will argue to you that we are in the very early days of the net. We don't know what it is yet. It is too soon to limit it, define it, regulate it. We have to let people go where they may. And so I'll remind you from Elizabeth Eisenstein, a key scholar of Gutenberg, how the book scared the bejesus out of people when it came out en masse. That there was complaint about an information overload, about a new age of barbarity, about making us stupid, about unrestrained discursivity, which is what I think we're doing right here. So the fear was that the book was going to do this, but we figured it out, society. We understood how to deal with this new technology. It took some time. It took some wars. All true. But we did figure out where to go. So I would say to you here today that what you need to do is vote for the future. I would argue to you that you should have the faith and trust and respect for your children and grandchildren that they will know what to do with this that they will understand how this is their world and their tool. And we are, frankly speaking for everyone in the room, we are too old to understand this new world. So I beg you, I urge you, vote for respect to the intelligence of your fellow man and woman. Vote for our side. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff Jarvis. Once again, the resolution, social media is good for democracy, and here making his opening statement against the motion, Franklin Foer, staff writer at The Atlantic. Ladies and gentlemen, Franklin Foer. Um, before I get into the question of democracy, I wanted to take a brief deviation into a personal question, which is I wanted to ask, how many people in this room sleep with their phones? I have to keep my phone in my basement, three stories below my bedroom, because I know if it's next to my bed, I'm going to reach for it and grab it and get stuck in an endless scroll. Roger likes to say that he's so addicted to his phone that the only question is, will he check it before he pees in the morning or while he's peeing in the morning? <laughs> this is not an accident. These devices, these social platforms are behavior modification machines. They've been designed to addict us. They're engineered to elicit emotional responses. And so they can, they can wish for these pure reactions, but the system in the end is rigged. Now, it's not hard to see the democratic danger. These platforms are giving people what they want. They're giving thing, people information and news that confirms their own biases. And this is the reason we've started to see the formulation of these filter bubbles where we're pushed into our ideological corners. Um, I want to give you an example. The Wall Street Journal has something called Red Feed, Blue Feed. So they show you, if you're a liberal, you can see what your news was this morning. Item number one, the insecure president's antics on display. Item number two, he knows he'll never be as popular as Barack Obama. Now let's turn to the conservative feed. Number one, Donald Trump, high energy, strong stamina. Number two, a Breitbart story, Trump goes on offensive. They are pushing us into these corners. And when we're getting information that confirms our biases, we become intellectually weakened. We become susceptible to fake news, to propaganda, to demagoguery, these trends that are so rampant in our world right now. One-third of all Americans believe in something that is demonstrably false, whether it's arguments about vaccination, arguments about climate change, arguments about the world being fat, uh, flat. 
We exist within filter bubbles. Now, social media doesn't cause this in its entirety, but it has exacerbated that trend. According to NBC News, 52% of Americans have not had a conversation over the course of the last year with somebody that they substantively, politically disagree with that. Finally, um, the one antidote to fake news is real news. And that is disappearing because Facebook and Google and the other platforms have amassed monopolies in online advertising. 73% of all online dollars go to Google and Facebook. And they've come at the expense of media. Over the course of the last 25 years, we've seen a 60% reduction in the number of reporters. Media has grown dependent on Facebook. And so they end up producing clickbait because that's the only way that they can, they can survive. Facebook's values become their values. Now, really, ultimately, this is a debate about citizenship. We ask so much of citizens every two years, every four years. And if they're fed fake, lo- fake news, lies, if they're being manipulated, if they can't hold their attention span then how are we going to expect them to do their duty? Thank you. Thank you, Franklin Four. And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate where our motion is social media is good for democracy. And now we move on to round two. And in round two, the debaters address one another directly, and they also take questions from me and from you, our live audience here in Aspen, Colorado. The team arguing uh, for the motion, Jeff Jarvis and Emily Parker, uh, they are taking a very, very optimistic look at the situation. They say, they point out that the world is unquestionably more democratic with social media than without. But the core part of their argument is making the case that social media is neither the cure nor the cause of our political difficulties of the moment. They point out that uh, centuries ago, people were scared of the book and that what's going on now is something of a repetitive moral panic. So look to the future, they're saying, and be optimistic. Uh, The team arguing against the motion, Roger McNamee and Franklin Foer, say it's great to be optimistic about the future, but look at the present, they say, the trajectory is not good. Uh, Companies that are making fortunes on social media are, in fact, relying on an addictive business model that uses behavior modification that causes us to collapse fact and to undermine the public square. They say that if social media uh, was good for democracy, trends like populism and terrorism by this time would have been deterred by them, but they say that the opposite is basically not happening. To take Emily's opening point, I'll take it to you, Franklin. A place like China, a place like Russia, a place like Cuba, where social media is completely disruptive to, to, uh, to a regime that otherwise had total control. Well, actually, Roger's shaking his head already, so do you want to yield or whoever wants to take it first? China has a social media program of its own. It's going to kick off in 2020 called Social Credit. And it is using the tools of Facebook, essentially the same techniques, for behavior modification so it can control its entire population. The notion, yes, this allows people to communicate, but within very narrow bands. It does not allow them to protest. It does not allow them to push back. Emily? Okay, so that's objectively untrue um, because um, people are using social media platforms to organize local and national campaigns all the time. And this was something that was completely impossible before the internet. So, Frank? I just want to describe a little bit more what Roger is talking about, the social credit system. China is basically using its, its social networks in order to give you the equivalent of a credit score, your trustworthiness. And so if you're friends with a human rights lawyer, your trustworthiness score goes down. They're exploiting social media that way. If you share an item from state-run media, your score goes up. I don't see how 
you could point to China as an example of how it's good for democracy. You can but, point uh, to, but, but how, can you, how can you say the argument that having the opportunity for millions of people to have a voice in a place that before I had a single voice does not represent real progress or real breakthrough? So very simply, democracy is a very specific thing. It relates to a way that a government operates. It relates to those four pillars that we talked about. And again, the notion that free and fair elections are part of China, the notion that there's active participation of the people uh, in civic life, I'm willing to concede that that might happen, protection of human rights for all citizens, demonstrably not true in China, and a rule of law that applies equally to all citizens, again, demonstrably not true in China. Again, the resolution is social media is good for democracy, not social media causes democracy. So first of all, the Orwellian narrative of China that we see in the media is not accurate. It's China does not have this Orwellian, perfectly executed social credit system, perfectly executed censorship. Information always gets through, always gets through. So that's part of it. And two, it's a battle. It's always been a battle between the people and the state. And yes, has internet censorship become more pervasive? For sure. But it's become more pervasive precisely because authorities recognize social media as a threat to their power. And has she extended his, unilaterally extended his term? Yes. Are the people but would in that China- have happened without social media? Maybe. This is a Chinese political However, question. Social media be- is not going to overthrow. There is not, right now, there is not a critical mass in China looking to overthrow the government. That's just not the reality. So social media simply by existing is not going to change that. And there was not an, a majority of people in East Germany looking to overthrow that system until the opportunity actually happened. You're using an Orwellian version of democracy where absolute state control is democracy because people get to talk to each other because they don't care about having control of their government. Jeff, let, let, me, let me give you the last word on this, and then I want to move on well, to I, our... I, maybe move on to the next topic. I, I, let me talk about democracy. Democracy isn't about government. Democracy is about citizens. And democracy is about the voices of the people finally heard. And democracy is about the ability of the people to now find each other and join together and find communities and take action together. To influence and so, outcomes, which is inherently a political activity, well, let, right? me, let me answer part of what you said, Frank, which is about the notion that Donald Trump, just like China, is misusing this Internet. True. But who assigns reporters to write stories, entire news stories, about every one of his damned tweets? That's not news. They should be saying what he tweeted today. Jeff, thank, you, instead, for, thank you for bringing this argument now to where I want to bring it, to U.S. politics. You're welcome. Your opponents, <laughs> I'm a bridge builder. Man. Your opponents are saying this is not a book. This is not the book technology, that this is a game changer of a different kind because it actually is getting deep into our psyches, not to uh, destroy democracy, but to make profits by manipulating our behavior and for the worse, that that's where the money is, that this is different this time. Two arguments to make. One is that I think my august uh, competitors here are uh, dissing the public. They're not giving the public credit for the agency and intelligence and self-respect that they have. I don't think that everyone I know is addicted to technology any more than people Erasmus feared would be addicted to books. I've been on Facebook last week with friends who had thyroid cancer operations two in a row, and I've had the same thing. That's a miracle that we could talk about that kind of openness in a way never possible. So first argument is we do have agency. Second argument is I see more and more this debate is really about media. The, the, media, the, the democracy that we gave to the Internet age was deeply flawed, deeply polarized. All right, let me, let me have Frank uh, respond to some of what you said there. Am, are, we, are we dissing the people? Well, we're, we're, we're really upset about the democratic outcomes that we're seeing right now. 
Um, and I think that they're missing the primary thing that we're pushing here and that we're arguing is central to understanding social media, which is that it enables great things, but the system at the end is not controlled by the people. It's controlled by a couple monopolistic concerns that are out to manipulate the people. And in fact, I see you conceding largely that there are huge problems with the way that Facebook Exist. I mean, I, I, I've, I've, read, I've read the very eloquent things that you've written uh, pleading with Facebook to do better. Because I think it's up to all of us to collaborate and work together. This thing is new. And yes, I work with Facebook and I, and I, and I criticize Facebook because I think they need to do better. But you're saying, but you're saying in, new, new, we actually don't know what it's going to be. And they're saying new, dangerous new. But that's the, that's the dystopian view that sells these days. Sorry, sorry, and I'm, sells very well. I, I can't allow that. Framing. All right. If, if, am I, no, I, am I'm, I, really, I'm really sorry. So th- this stuff started in 2004, okay? I got involved in 2006. People's behavior has changed really radically. And this notion that people have agency, obviously they do. They have less agency than they had. There have always been people who believed in flat earth and other nonsense. There are literally five times as many people who identify with a demonstrably untrue issue today as there were 15 years ago before Facebook existed. If you look at democracy trends, okay, the trends of democracy, the chart goes straight down. I don't know how much time we have to wait, okay? The incentives are perverse here. All right, let me take this to Emily. Emily, because... So... So... I think Roger is directly challenging your, your, your mirror metaphor that, that it's human behavior we're talking about, and this is just one more tool. He's saying this is, this is something that the DNA is changing in a way because of, of the mix it's with technology. It's addiction is what it is. Well, if democracy, if we are seeing anti-democratic trends across the world, it's just not clear that social media is what's causing them or if social media, again, is just reflecting these trends. And so um, you mentioned the statistic, um, 52% of people have not had a conversation with someone who disagrees with them. Is that really a social media thing? That's a real life thing. How many times do you see a Trump supporter and a liberal like sitting in Starbucks and having a civil, pleasant conversation? All right, let me take that to but Frank. If, if, all right. But if social media is reflecting a terrible reality, how can it be good for democracy? I mean, isn't that... Isn't, isn't that I, I got I to jump in here. What the hell did we do in media all these years but re- think we were a reflection of society and reflect society's worst? But I think what we have going on here, John, is two different kinds of fear about the future. At the elite level, which is where we are, my colleagues are, there's a fear of their institutions being challenged by these new voices. And at the populist level... There's a fear of losing jobs. There's a fear of an unknown future. And, and I would argue this comes back to, number one, media in painting this dystopian picture, and number two, government in having to get its act together to figure out how to give us a more secure life in the future. That's not social media's job. I, That's government's yeah, job. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure I've heard that fear uh, voiced by this it, side, but it, I want to... It, it's worse than that. We're not having a debate about whether media is good or bad for democracy. We're having a debate about whether social media is good for democracy. That is the case they must make. In order to show that, we have to see some actual evidence of democracy improving somewhere. There are little anecdotes, right? Me too. There are the Women's March, Indivisible, Black Lives Matter. There are Those are anecdotes. not little to the people who are involved in them. Dude, Black Lives Matter they, is an important hey, movement in this country may I speak? That, that, that matters a lot more than a little matter. I had bear to break bear with that. me a moment. We look, I, I look at the March for Our Lives. They've changed a law in Florida, so now you have to be 21 years old to buy a rifle. 
Is that going to end gun violence? No. My point here is that social media is unbelievably good at germinating a debate. It is terrible about sustaining one. The lesson of the Arab Spring was that the problem with these whole things is you need to have organization, you need to have commitment, you need to have deliberation over time. And these networks have been designed to prevent deliberation. Coming up, audience questions and more debate on the definition of democracy in the digital age. I want to remind you that we are in the question and answer section of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan, your moderator. We have four debaters, two teams of two, debating this motion, social media is good for democracy. So let's hear, hear a response from... Uh, you, you both want to speak, actually. Sure. So I think there's getting a little bit of... Confu- there's a little bit of confusion here about the definition of democracy. I mean, if democracy is, you know, the will of the majority, if the democracy is, you know, reflecting the will of the people, you just said, you know, oh, social media reflects the will of the people people, so that's not democratic. But is that really true? I mean, if, That's if, kind of a zinger line. I want to see what your response is to that. Because a democracy is not democratic outcomes. A democracy is a society based on a commitment to a certain understanding of how politics functions and how rights and liberty are maintained. And if democracy produces results like Viktor Orban, yes, okay, great. Viktor Orban won a vote in Hungary. Erdogan won a vote in Turkey. But they're using their powers to arrest journalists, uh, eliminate, eliminate core rights, um, okay. uh, cons- but, to, to extend their terms indefinitely. I interrupted, Emily. I want to let you complete. If, you're, if you sure. could remember where you were. Yeah, I, yeah okay, sure. Okay, I mean, I just think this debate is getting a little bit skewed between social media is good for democracy and we're arguing social media is good for the democracy or the, the outcomes that we like, the democratic outcomes that we like. And the truth is, democracy is something Sometimes yields results that we don't like. That's why it's democracy, right? Roger, to finish this point, and I don't want to go to questions. So I understand it's a debate, and you want to try to frame what we're saying to suit your position. The truth here is there were three Facebook employees embedded in the Trump campaign using a data set from Cambridge Analytica that was, was taken from 50 million Facebook users without their permission. They focused in three states— Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. Those three states determined the outcome of the election. You know, we were still waiting to find out what happened in Brexit, but there appears to have been funny games going on there. I really do not think there is evidence that Facebook caused the election of Donald Trump. And I, I just, I'm not I, I just don't, I don't, I'm I saying that, he could not have won without them, which is a different point. I, I just don't think that's necessarily true. I think that's also not terribly respectful to all the people in this country that voted for him. And I'm not saying this as, as a Trump supporter. I just think, you know, that is democracy and we might not like it, but we, it, it's not. I just do not think that there is evidence to say that Facebook caused the election of Donald Trump. Okay, let you go to some audience questions as anybody have any questions? Hi, I'm Kristen. And my question is, how is social media affecting voter participation? Uh, So you look ready for that, Roger. So Facebook has told everybody that they can increase turnout. And they, in fact, did do so a few elections ago. Um, They did not do a campaign this time uh, to, to do turnout. In fact, the thing that was primarily done on Facebook in 2016 was voter suppression. There are 4 million people who voted for Obama in 2012 who did not vote in 2016. And there's considerable evidence that a portion of that, we don't know exactly what portion, was suppressed because there were the Russians and others on Facebook, you know, 
confused them. They, they built up the Hillary email thing. In my opinion, I'm not one of these people who thinks that the problem with Trump, you know, that my problem, the political disagreement with Trump means that he shouldn't be elected. That's not my problem. My problem is that I do not believe that the result was fair because of the Russian interference for certain, and to some smaller extent because of Facebook's participation on behalf of one side and not the other. Okay, I'm going to not ask you to respond to the Trump point because it's not on point. (laughs) My name is Sarah, and my question is, is social media good for people making contributions as a result of the social media? Can you be more specific? I'm not yes, quite so sure what you're saying. If somebody has a project and says, I would like to raise a million dollars, and they go to social media and they raise, I'm making this up, $10 million, is that good or bad? Uh, let's take it very quickly. We, we have an example just from the, the crisis at the border caused by Donald Trump. Uh, where after his tweets and after the video, the audio that came out thanks to journalism and ProPublica, uh, at last I checked, more than $15 million was raised on Facebook for an organization to bail out families and give them legal representation to bring families back together and I would argue in the end, make America, America again. Okay, sir, there's a question there. Hi, my name's Andrew from Boise, Idaho. My question jumps off something Ms. Parker said in the opening about social media being a tool, and I thought that this sort of mirrored language that I've heard about firearms and that we shouldn't blame guns for violence, we should blame the people that use them. And so my question is, if social media is a tool, is it a dangerous tool or a benign tool? If it is dangerous, should we regulate it and how? And if it's benign, how can it be bad or good for democracy? I'm going to let both sides answer that question, but I'll start with you, Emily Parker. Um, Yeah, I think we've established, and I don't. I think Jeff and I, even on this side, agree that social media can be used for for bad. I mean, that's that's not really in doubt, right? We've seen that in in, in many situations. Um, again, if we're talking about democracy, the good guys don't always win, right? This is just social media can be used for good and it can be used for bad. You know, the regulation question is very very tricky because can Facebook itself do better? Yes, and I think we're already seeing people pushing Facebook to do better. We're seeing some reforms inside the company. I think we can push these social media platforms, but then you have to ask, who is going to decide what's the right social media behavior? Is it going to be our own government? Is it going to be the Trump administration? Is that what we really want? We want Trump deciding what's okay to say on Twitter? Do we want Mark Zuckerberg, who kind of like, you know, caught us into this mess in the first place? Do we want him deciding what it's okay? Do we want an algorithm deciding what's okay? So I think a lot of times, you know, there's just like, let's just regulate, let's just fix this problem. But we have to think really carefully about like, who is going to be the arbiter here? Okay, so, is- let's, let's, so that last point, just so we're clear, Facebook, Google, they decide exactly what you see. They censor like crazy. Okay, they have something called community standards. Now, if you go to Myanmar, the community standards in Myanmar made it okay to persecute a religious minority. In December, Médecins Sans Frontières said there were at least 9,000 people killed in what the United Nations has said is a classic ethnic cleansing enabled, enabled by Facebook. These are real-life consequences. Since 2006, since the year I met Zuck, we've had Freedom Watches talk 12 consecutive years of declines in freedom globally. Since the issue of regulation has come up very quickly, I want to put the regulation question to you, Frank, because you've talked about, you know, we should do some things to break up these companies, right. and we should do some things. Well, let me, let me just say first that 
I have my own opinions about it. And, and in fact, I agree with Emily. I feel like the problem, that it, the, 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 the problem in places like China is that you have this collaboration between the state and social media. And I fear that regulation could ensconce that. I favor solutions that create pluralism. Because right now, the problem with social media is that it's, it's monopolistic, it's highly consolidated. And, it, and if you have these massive concentrations of power, these massive systems that exert so much control over the public square, over markets, I don't see how that could be good for democracy in the end. Um. I think there's much well-intentioned regulation in Europe that has had horrible consequences. Uh, from the courts, the right to be forgotten, has Europe, again, rewriting and trying to erase history. Uh, the privacy re regulation, GDPR, uh, means that American publishers are cutting off Europe. Uh, there's an effort in France to come up with a fake news law, which, as Emily said, who decides what's fake and not? Uh, there's a simplistic view that all the problems of society were caused by social media and all of them can be solved if government just steps in, especially in Europe. And that's the problem. On, it's not, not so not, simple. That's not what we're debating here. And that concludes round two of this Intelligence Squared U.S. <laughs> debate, where our motion is social media is good for democracy. Now we move on to round three. Round three are closing statements by each debater in turn. To make her closing statement in support of the motion, Emily Parker, digital diplomacy advisor and former State Department official. Okay, thank you. Okay, so just to conclude what I started in the opening, um, I just wanted to conclude a little bit with what I was talking about with my own experience in Silicon Valley, where we did not have a complicated ad model and we did not have secret algorithms. We were just a small startup trying to create a platform for civil, thoughtful debate. And what I observed in that capacity is that there is a lot of problems on the platform side, but also on the user side. And what users generally wanted was more sensational content, viral content, sound bites, and, you know, things that it's, these are not, platforms are not causing this, they are reflecting it. And I think the best analogy for this, it's like, you know, one day you're hungry and you think to yourself, I'd really like a salad for lunch. It would be great if I had a salad for lunch. But in reality, you gravitate towards those cheeseburgers, right? You, gra you will gravitate towards a cheeseburger. And this is a free market. This is a free market. And, you know, social media platforms can provide more nutritional content, but they can't force feed people salads. And if we're really talking about democracy, we have agency here. We can create the social media experiences that we want. And I think that, you know, social media, it is allowing for an explosion of different voices. It's allowing for mass association and organization, and I think that is a fundamental part of the definition of democracy. And so let's not throw out the good with the bad. Let's improve our social media experience, but acknowledge that it's also life would be a lot worse without it. Thank you. Thank you, Emily Parker. Our resolution, social media is good for democracy, here making his closing statement against this motion, Roger McNamee, investor and venture capitalist. So the proposition, social media is good for democracy. I believe social media does precisely the opposite. I think it undermines all four pillars of democracy. Our opponent has created a definition of democracy that is non-standard. I tried to pick the standard one. Free and fair elections. The openness of the platforms to bad actors has undermined elections around the world. Literally every democracy in Western Europe and now every democracy in North America, other than Canada, has experienced it. Citizen participation. Pervasive surveillance and manipulation, manipulation undermine the user ability to participate as citizens. Social media empowers emotion, not deliberation. 
Third pillar, human rights for all. Social media undermines human rights. These things are tools that in the hands of the wrong people are terrible. In Sri Lanka, they had to shut Facebook down temporarily because hate speech led to real-life violence. And I've already talked about what's happened in Myanmar. And lastly, the rule of law. YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter were exploited by the Russians to first sow discord in the United States and ultimately to elect Donald Trump. As a result, the rule of law in the United States is under assault. It happens every single day. Think about whether the world feels like it's operating better than it was. 112 countries have less freedom. I want you, please, to consider voting against this proposition. This is our country. We can't wait forever for these guys to figure it out. Thank you. Thank you, Roger McNamee. The motion, once again, social media is good for democracy. Here to make his closing statement in support of the motion, Jeff Jarvis, director of the Cow Knight Center for Entrepreneurial Journalism. What's bad for democracy, I'm coming to see, is this debate. Because I think that the dystopia and the fear that is leading to moral panic is leading to a reallocation of of our resources in society. Facebook is hiring 20,000 people to try to get rid of junk on its platform. And we'd say good to that. But for the sake of comparison, it's not a great comparison, in in America there are now fewer than 30,000 journalists working for newspapers. What does that say about our allocation of resources in a society? So the problem I have here in great measure is with the dystopia. When I look at my Facebook feed, I find generally good things. I don't find Nazis. I don't find Russians. I find good reason to be there. Same with my Twitter feed. Are there bozos and trolls and Russians there? Yes, but the number is small, and I expect to see evidence, journalistic evidence, scientific evidence of how bad this is before we proceed. I am, as you can hear, an optimist. That puts Emily and me in a bad position tonight because dystopia sells. I know because Frank's book is selling far better than my last optimistic book and because it it appeals to a fear and a fear that is very rational. And I get that. And I'm not making fun of them for this. We have many reasons to fear in this society right now, but they are not the fault of social media. Indeed, I believe firmly that social media is what enables new voices to be heard in a democracy and to fix that. So please prove me wrong about my pessimism and vote for our future. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff Jarvis. Once again, the motion, social media is good for democracy. Here to make his closing statement against the motion, Franklin Foer, staff writer at The Atlantic. Uh, Counter to our opponents, I'd like to thank you for participating in this glorious display of democracy, which has somehow managed to withstand the age of social media. We've had 15 years of social media. How has democracy fared in that era? Well, we've we've given you so much evidence. 12 years of declining freedom. The number of democracies in the world uh, since Facebook was invented have shrunk by 25. The prestige of democracy plummets each year, according to the Economist Intelligence Unit. Maybe we can afford to wait for a more glorious future to arrive, But there are a lot of people who are suffering now who can't afford to wait. Authoritarians love this medium. Putin has exploited it to death. The Chinese are using it as a method for for remaking their society. Uh, Orwell just didn't have enough imagination to, 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 to grasp what this could do. But I want you to use your agency as they suggest. There are tech executives here who are watching this debate. 
And you can tell them, you can send a message to them tonight that for the sake of our democracy, they need to do better. Thank you. Thank you, Franklin Four. And that concludes round three and our closing statements in this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. And now it's time to learn which side you feel has argued the best. While we're waiting for the results to come, what do you think that voters should keep in mind as they work through and work with and expose themselves to social media? I'll start with you, Roger, on that. So uh, I think that the, the core issues to look for is that uh, the Cambridge Analytica data set is still out there. The playbook is out there for how to use it. And then each of us, the most important thing to know is this is mostly about voter suppression. So we all have to vote. What would be your advice, Emily? Diversify your sources. Don't just read Facebook. <laughs> and Jeff? My fondest hope for both media and Facebook and Twitter is that they can help make strangers less strange. That the, the notion of the other is what has been demonized. And, and so reach out to someone who is not like you, uh, whether it's on Facebook or whether it's in person, and do so with an open hand. If we can't do that, then we are kind of screwed. Yeah, I, I worry perpetually about how we're ever going to back ourselves out of the mess that we're in. I, I, I will get dinged by my people on social media for saying this, but we, 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 need, we need to f- find a way to recover a, a discourse that, uh, that aims at persuasion, that does not view uh, the people on the other side as uh, somehow less than human. And that's not going to happen this election, unfortunately. <laughs> Um, I have the final results. Once again, our resolution, social media is good for democracy. The way we determine victory is the difference between the first and the second votes. In the first vote on the resolution, social media is good for democracy. 36% of you agreed with that. 46% were against and 18% were undecided. Let's look at the second vote. The team are arguing for the motion. Social media is good for democracy. Their first vote was 36%. Their second vote, 34%. They lost two percentage points. The team against the motion, their first vote was 46%. Their second vote, 63%. They pulled up 17 percentage points on the against side. That means the team arguing against the motion, social media is good for democracy, are winners here in Aspen by our audience. I'm John Donvan. Thanks very much. We'll see you next time. This Intelligence Squared U.S. debate was presented in partnership with the Aspen Ideas Festival and held in front of a live audience at the St. Regis Hotel in Aspen, Colorado. Robert Rosencrantz is our chairman. Clea Chang is chief operating officer. Leah Mathau is vice president of programming. Shay O'Mara is manager of editorial operations. Taylor Quimby, Aaron Dalton, and Rob Christensen are the radio producers. Damon Whittemore is the audio engineer. And I'm your host, John Donvan. You can now stream all of our debates on demand on Apple TV and Roku devices with the IQ2US app. For more information or to purchase tickets to our future events, visit IQ2US.org. These debates are made possible by generous contributions from listeners like you and with support from David A. Coulter, Robert Epstein, Christopher W. Johnson Charitable Trust, Ilona Namath and Alan Quasha, George L. Orstrom Jr. Foundation, Jerry Orstrom, Kelly Posner Gerstenhaber, the Rosencrantz Foundation, the Mortimer D. Sackler Foundation, Jennifer and Philippe Salendi, the Paul E. Singer Foundation, Edward Stern and Stephanie Rain, and Emily and Antoine Van Actmill. From Intelligence Squared U.S. and me, John Donvan, thank you.
One last thing, we are now asking for your help. When you give Intelligence Squared U.S. five stars on Apple Podcasts or Google Play, you help other people find our podcast. So if you enjoy our debates, please rate and review us.